Welcome to Stories, a thread within the Protein podcast that features the stories behind the people at the intersection of community, culture, and technology. In this episode, I chat with longtime Protein Studios member Oscar Belleville from Kinsing, a new generation artist agency and licensing platform that represents a global network of incredible freelance creatives. We cover a wide range of topics, from sibling rivalries and how artist representation models are broken, to the role of AI and how it could support, instead of clone, creatives' work. Oscar, great to have you on the show. Uh, really excited to uh, spend some time here about what you've been up to. Um, why don't we start with just a bit of an introduction about what you're, uh, what you've been up to, um, and um, yeah, what you're sort of, what you're known for. What I'm known for. Firstly, thank you for having me. It's, it's great to be here. Um, God, what I'm known for. I guess uh, from a, a work point of view. Um, I started an agency called Kinsing, um, which is a photographic agency. We're on one part a repping agency, on the other part a licensing platform. Um, so I guess it's in a sense I'm kind of known for that, but I'm very kind of, uh, I don't really do these kind of things that often, so I'm quite under the radar. And as I'm always told by my team, I'm not very good at kind of going out and, uh, you know, shouting about what we do. So anyway, it's nice to have the opportunity to talk about it properly yeah and i i am similar uh, <laughs> i i much prefer the uh you know the work to talk for itself or you know whatever goes out into the world rather than it you know being about the individual um and i mean that is that's what you do right that is the business you are representing and i mean i've i, I know a couple of them but would love to hear a bit more about some of the artists that you represent um, and, and, you know, how, how you got into that, uh, in terms of, uh, a business, uh, you know, and as a, as a organization. Yeah. So kind of going from the beginning, I guess I, I got into photography kind of by accident at school, just through never really finding anything that I was particularly kind of gripped by on the more kind of like curricular level and, I was into art, but not particularly good at it. And that kind of led me to, they had like a little dark room at school and I started kind of taking pictures and developing them myself. And that my, that, that kind of magic of, of seeing an image come to life in front of you really caught me. And so I ended up spending a lot of time in the dark room when I should have been doing other stuff. And it kind of really like, I guess for the first time, I felt like I was really interested in something that I felt like could go to, it, you know, could turn into something and there was, you know, a few kind of teachers there who helped out a bit and taught you how to do it and were encouraging. And anyway, I kind of, that led me to starting to like take photos myself in a very amateurish way when I was like 15. Um, and kind of carried through the la- carried me through the last bits of, of my school um, years. And when I came out, I'd done really badly in my levels and and because uh, you've been down in the in the dark room. Yeah, I'd like to say it was just that. <laughs> I think it was uh, I think it was a combination of things. But um, you know, I was in that kind of situation of do I go to university? And anyway, I, I couldn't really go to university, or at least none of the ones that I wanted to go to. Um, so I kind of decided that I needed to 
find some way of pursuing photography and whatever means it would be. And I wasn't actually that good at taking photos. I didn't ever feel like, I didn't ever feel like it was a route that I could go down to be a photographer. But I was really interested in the kind of business side of it. Um, and I guess my sort of, you know, survival instinct and maybe potentially kind of entrepreneurial instinct led me to think, okay, what can I do in this world? Um, and the first thing I did was I went, went and worked at Getty Images and did a kind of about 10 years there um, doing various different jobs. They work across such a huge kind of breadth of things within the photo industry. Um, and so I started off in licensing, learned about the weird world of image licensing and then kind of moved into the repping side, working with, um, on what, for a while I was working with award-winning war photographers helping to kind of get them into the commercial world shooting commercial campaigns so then I learned about the kind of repping side of things um, and after five years doing that they then moved me to Singapore to set up a part of their office there and then to Hong Kong after that um, so I kind of I ended up staying there probably longer than I would have but they gave me a lot of different experience and I, it was a really good grounding into seeing and I, I I found a lot of it quite boring, if I'm honest. Um, but it was a really interesting insight into how a, a massive corporation like that works. Um, and I think it gave me a really good grounding and and helped me really form an idea, a clear idea of what I would do if I had my own agency. Um, and was that always the plan? Did you always have that inkling that you wanted to do your own thing? I think not for the first five years because I was in my life. I was like, I started there when I was 18. And at that, my early 20s, I'd have absolutely no um, thoughts about what I was going to do in the future, if I'm honest. I think I was a bit of a late developer in that sense of having too much fun. Um, but, then, but then I realized as I went on, I think it was always in the back of my mind, but I hit a moment where I wanted to leave Hong Kong um, and I realized I'd worked at the same company for a long time, freaked out, didn't know what I wanted to do, and then had all these kind of wild ideas, a lot of them really bad ideas, which thank God I didn't pursue. Um, but I kept, eventually came back to the fact that I knew a lot about a very niche industry and I'd seen so much of how in some ways how to do things, in a lot of ways how not to do things. Um, you know, Getty Images is an amazing company, but it was it kind of, had, for me, sucked a lot of the creativity out of photography and the things that I loved about it. Um, and, and so, yeah, that's what led me to setting up Kinsing. I wanted to create something that was in some ways in terms of business model in the guise of Getty Images, but completely different in terms of the types of artists that we work with um, and the focus on curation um, and really importantly the, the way we work with artists um, we've always um, we've always worked to put photographers um, you know in front of ourselves in terms of the ethos of the company and and really kind of finding ways of making it something that people really want to be part of partly from a creative point of view but also from a kind of ethical point of view um, and is that because, sorry to interrupt, but is that because the established players were exploitative or is it just finding a more mutual balance in terms of that creative exchange? I think they, I think the established players were exploitative, but only, you know, in the classic kind of um, 
way that businesses go when they get huge money behind them and they're getting images when I was there I was 25 years old and had had a lot of kind of you know huge amounts of money pumped into it and once you get to that you have people above you saying you need to squeeze the margins and and obviously it's the photographers then that suffer and they're kind of at a point there where they're so big that it's it doesn't really that reputational side of it had kind of fallen off a little bit um and their approach is much more a volumes game um and the way we've approached it is much more about curation and so because we don't have on the licensing so to backtrack a bit on the licensing side we have around 450 photographers um all over the world and on the repping side of it which is more the commissioning side um we have around uh, sorry we have nine photographers um 450 sounds like a lot but because it's a it's a much less involved relationship on the licensing side but it still allows us it's a small enough roster that we can really give that attention and build relationships with the artists um and i think it was it definitely in reaction to some of the bigger agencies being more exploitative but also just understanding how important reputation is and also feeling like the best way that i could build a business when it comes to representing to photographers would be to think about how I would want to be represented. And I've always felt like if I keep that as the core, at the core of the decisions I make, that it will help me make the right decisions um, and will help the kind of longevity of the business. And is there a type of artist, creative photographer that you are you're naturally attracted to or, or invite in? Hmm. So it's kind of, it's different on both sides. On the licensing side, it's a, it's a wider kind of, you cast the net slightly wider essentially, um, but we are looking for photographers who are creating work that feels kind of stylistically unique, that doesn't feel too kind of um, classically, a lot of our clients are commercial clients and a lot of them are looking to create or license work that feels different to what they've been churning out for the last however many years so it's helping them find artists that can bring a new kind of eye and perspective to their brand um, or find imagery that can to license that can uh, kind of push away from what you would get at a traditional stock agency so I think I've always been drawn to the more kind of documentary side of things but I think as I've grown into the commercial and fashion world, I've been more and more interested in this kind of um, elevated documentary style. Um, but we've got a real kind of broad range, I think, in general. And the team, it's not just me who kind of, you know, sources photographers, signs photographers and kind of looks at new photographers. And it, it, we all will sit down and look at different artists and and I think one of the big questions is do they have have they developed a really unique style and I think particularly on the repping side um the commissioning side it's it's really important that they have reached kind of evolved their craft to a point where you can see an image and hopefully be able to say oh that's by so and so um and often that takes a while. It happens at a kind of certain stage in a photographer's career, but that's something we look for, is a really distinct style. And just some of the names of the photographers you represent? 
So for people to like follow up and yeah, you know, so, do their own research. Well, I wouldn't. I wouldn't want to. Uh, <laughs> w- <laughs> Everybody's important, but some are more important than others. Well, yeah. I mean, that they're, no, they're all they're all equally as important, and all you know at different kind of stages, I guess. Um, but we're really lucky. We've got an amazing roster, um, and I'm gonna. I'm going to list them. But yeah, please. So please Stephanie Sean Smith, um, Sophie Jones, Kate Belm, Elliot Morgan, Lily Bertram Webb, Waka Okpareki, um, Erica Kamano, and Jeff Hahn. Um, I had to list them all because I don't want to show any preference, but the, the, those are our kind of our core artists. Um, and Waka had her show downstairs. Waka had her show yeah. downstairs, yeah. Which I unfortunately missed, but it, I got, saw the pictures that, it, yeah, it looked incredible. Yeah, her work's absolutely amazing. I think, you know, she's a very good example of someone who has developed a really distinct, unique style mm-hmm. um, that people really kind of gravitate towards. And her exhibition was, I, sadly, I was actually on holiday, so I missed it too, but I've, I know all the images and, yeah, she's she's really, really special photographer. Um, but yeah, I think when you look at our roster, you can kind of see there's, there is a, there's a range. They're not all, you know, a lot of agencies just represent one type of photographer and they all tend to get sort of muddled up together. And ours is a bit more eclectic and that's the feedback we get when we go and do portfolio meetings that there is something that ties them all together, but they're all, all their own kind of style. And I think that's important to us. And yeah, maybe it's the estate agents have taken the word agent and made it a little bit dirty but you know the role of an agent as a as a representative of a creative talent how are you seeing that evolve change or generally in terms of the industry the, you know the, the current you know, economic landscape and i think more specifically within kinsing you know how you like to operate in terms of you know, your artists and that building that relationship, you know, obviously establishing that trust, you know, developing them as their own sort of creative talents. Um, yeah, we'd just love to hear, you know, the wide view, but then sort of the specific view. Yeah, so it's interesting because the kind of evolution of the agent, I guess, it started a long time before me, but I have a, I've got a good understanding of where it's come from, from what it was, you know, 40, 50 years ago. Um, and it's changed massively. And I think, you know, I've kind of joined late on in that progression. Um, but essentially back in the day, pre-internet, um, pre-Instagram, pre all of these ways that photographers can market themselves, their agent was their breadwinner. You know, their agent was the person that would have their portfolio. And if they weren't putting the portfolio, you know, on a bike and having it sent to an art buyer, um, to a creative director, they may never see that person's work, um, particularly at the earlier stages before they've really established their name. Um, So in that sense, the agent's role was, and I wouldn't like to say more important, but in terms of a kind of financial standpoint, it was definitely, you know, even more important, I'd say. And the commissions reflect that? The commissions haven't changed wildly. They've changed a little bit, um, as far as I'm aware. What are they, roughly? So 25% is the kind of standard um, commission. I don't actually know what the... uh, I don't know what the commission was back back in the day and how much that's changed, but the thing that... The kind of double-edged sword to that is that whilst they used to be more important, it would give them a lot more 
kind of power and more control over the artists. And I think something that we've really seen and we've really taken on board is that new generation of artists, and it's not just because of that kind of power difference or shift in, in power balance. Um, it's because the new generation are very, they want to be involved. They want to be part of the conversations. They want to know what's going on. They don't want an agent who's just going to take them on, make all the decisions for them. Um, they want, you know, it, it, it becomes more of a collaboration. Um, and I think we have a really kind of, it's really important to us to have really strong open lines of communication with our artists. And so when we're negotiating, if they want to know what's going on with the negotiation, if they want to have final say on whether they do it or not, that's totally up to them. The more old school agent approach was, you're on our roster, if a job comes in, we'll negotiate. You know, if they don't agree to the fees, then they can get lost. And I think these days it's, it's more important to have that communication. And for us, ultimately, from a purely financial point of view, I see our job as working to make sure that they are charging as they should be. They're being paid as they should be. We're getting as much as we can out of clients for their jobs so that we can keep their business running and running as well as possible. But without, without creating situations where they can miss out on jobs um, and, and making sure that you know they are having a final say really on on uh, on decisions that are made for them um, and well having decisions not being made for them really um, and then on the other side it's you know and a big part of it is the kind of nurturing aspect I think is you know creatives freelance creatives are very much you know most of them are working by themselves and you know that can be quite a kind of lonely world um particularly when it comes to navigating you know a freelance career where it's up and down sometimes you're super busy sometimes you're not um and i think really putting an emphasis we really put an emphasis on that side of it and and being there to to be you know someone to throw ideas around with you know someone to lean on in kind of moments of feeling insecure or you know if something hasn't gone their way um, and also keeping them kind of in check in terms of making sure they're doing the things they need to outside of the commercial work that we bring them to it to keep their career going and to make sure that it doesn't kind of dry up and it has that longevity. And I think it's that kind of, for me, that's, I really enjoy working with the different personalities because every single photographer is different. Um, and so the kind of nurturing aspect of it is, is really important. Um, so yeah, it's kind of both of those really. It's it's keeping them on track and making sure they're doing the right things to make sure that they have as much longevity and making as much money as possible so that they can then focus on more creative work. Um, and then on the other side, doing the kind of negotiations and boring contract stuff that they don't want to do, which is easy for us to do. Um, well, not easy, but <laughs> it's easier when we're sat at a computer and we know what to look for and we do it the whole time. Um, and then we have a production team as well who help to actually produce the shoots. So, no, fascinating. And <clears throat> I mean, roughly between the two parts of the business, which how is that split in terms of not exact revenues, but percentage-wise between licensing and representation? So, at the moment, I think 
the representation side is probably 60 or 70% of our business. Um, the licensing side, you know, 30, 40. Um, that will kind of, I'm in our kind of projections of the business, at some point that will kind of level out. Um, the licensing side is a bit of a longer game. Um, you know, we've only just probably in the last few years really reached this kind of critical mass of having a library big enough to start competing with the libraries that have been around for 20 plus years. Um, you know, you have so many different types of searches of things that people are looking for. And until you have enough content, people are going to come and search and they're not going to find anything with that keyword that they're looking for. And so for a long time, we were we weren't being as proactive marketing it because we knew it wasn't quite ready. But in the last couple of years, we've started marketing much heavier and it's growing a lot quicker. So um, so that's in terms of growth and you know future plans, that's very much where you're looking to focus. Both sides, both sides. So, it, you know, it, we've both work in tandem because the same people that are commissioning content are also potentially licensing content. Sure. Um, so, you know, we've always wanted to be a place that people can come to do both, um, but done in a way that they know that they're coming to a place where they can find, you know, handpicked amazing talent for commission projects and really well curated content to license. Um, so we've got on the commissioning side, you know, our next steps is we're opening an office in the US and we're going to build a roster there. Um, Whereabouts? Uh, New York. Great. And and so we're kind of, I guess, we don't want to have too many people, too many photographers, because we want to be able to give the attention to the artists that we have. So rather than just, you know, building and building over here, we're building out into different locations, territories. In terms of where that, I guess, sort of interest and that scale and that growth is coming from, where does, uh, you know, it... I mean, what's the formats, right? Is I'm assuming when you talk photography, you you assume stills, but are you including video, digital, sort of animation as part of those uh, you know options? Yeah, so we've just we've just started um, in the last six months taking on moving image content for licensing, and on the commissioning side, most of our photographers are also directors, so we're doing more and more uh, film-led projects. Um, on the licensing side, we're kind of starting from the bottom in terms of, you know, we've got obviously a huge amount of stills content. So we're we're now looking at kind of strategic partnerships that we can build with platforms that have access to a network of directors and something we've done on the still side um, to essentially take on more kind of higher volumes of content at once rather than just signing individual artists at a time. Okay. <clears throat> yeah, we can't talk about formats without talking about AI um, would love your take on again the macro of AI and creativity and then sort of specifically I guess sort of the positives and the negatives of where AI is gonna or how AI is gonna evolve you know the discipline of photography mm. which it already is you know, yeah I mean I think I think that the part that worries me is I think the bigger brands are, I don't see it unless it becomes a massive trend thing to really use AI for campaigns and, and you know, big shoots. Um, 
which if it does, I feel like that will probably come and go. Um, but there's a huge amount of work that comes from, you know, brands slightly underneath that who don't have as big a budgets, who if they're given the opportunity to do something that is, uh, is going to be significantly cheaper, you know, they may well see it as not too much of a sacrifice, you know, the better it gets. Um, I think the one thing which I, I guess I'm t typically just thinking about how this affects us as a business, uh, rather than my kind of overall um, take on it. But the thing that, the thing that I think serves us quite well is a lot of the work we do um, is either very unique stylistically or it's about kind of real emotion expression. A lot of the campaigns that we get booked for our photographers are very good at capturing authentic expression. And on the licensing side, our whole kind of approach is all about authenticity. And I think that's really hard to achieve with AI. I think from what I've seen, and obviously I know it's going to develop very quickly, but from what I can understand, it's, it's one thing with AI, you can create very kind of polished imagery although the hands look a bit weird and you know but it's it's that kind of you can create a very certain specific style everything looks quite similar but as soon as you want real authentic emotion which is what particularly on the commercial side brands are desperately looking for because that's what captures people's attention you know that's something we've always been good at um in a more general sense though to be honest i'm i kind of I avoid, I avoid getting too trapped and caught up in these things that I feel like you have so little control over that if I was to go down the kind of rabbit hole, which I have done, you know, briefly, I have no idea where it's going to go. Um, and I also don't really want to at this point because it's, I've seen other people in their industry and I've seen emails kind of flying about between different groups I'm part of of people kind of getting whipped up into this panic. And I'm just like, you know, you just have to let these things happen and, and figure it out as you go along. There's not too much pre preparation you can do to, you know, combat it. And the people who are fighting it from a legal standpoint when it comes to licensing, for the moment, I'll leave them to it. And uh, if I ever have the, like, you know, the manpower, the time, then, you know, of course I will. And that's from a copyright point of view. Yeah use of taking two images to creating a third because it's impossible to to know what images have been used and yeah yeah no i i'm i'm with you like we obviously track it very i mean pretty closely just because it's part of what we do as part of our research just to know, know what's going on but the the grounding i mean it's coming from a slightly different approach you know it's never about the technology it's all it's all about what you can do with it right and that that's never changed from, I don't know, standards that came first video, first streaming, first iPhones. Like it's all about the utility, yeah. and uh, you know the assumptions that people will jump to because they see something like Mid Journey or Stable Diffusion, which is sort of visual creation tools. I mean, are, are mind-blowingly impressive yeah. in the fact of actually, if you actually break down what's going on behind the scenes to create that. But I think you're entirely right. Then there is something just not right about them, right? It just 
uh, you know, I don't want to get too like audiophile about CDs versus vinyl, but <laughs> it's digital versus analog, right? Um, and I think, if I may, <laughs> you know, the opportunity maybe for you guys is, you know, is employing AI in, in your own database, right? Using that as intelligent search functionalities for your clients to be looking at your your amazing archive. And like that is where that that technology is like unbelievable. Hundred percent. And you know, and it's not about creating new images. You've already got the images, right? You've got like phenomenal images. So it's applying that technology and or repackaging that technology in a way that actually serves you and your specific needs and your specific, and your clients' specific needs. Yeah, you know, that's where it's that's where the you know all of this intelligence is actually going to start becoming really valuable. Yeah, you're absolutely right. That's it's something that's been on our minds, I think. Uh, our actual search functionality on the site is pretty basic at the moment, and it's something that at some point we're going to invest in upgrading properly. And I think to have some kind of AI tool that will improve it is, is a no-brainer. Yeah. Um, and we use like AI and other things. We have a company that scours the internet and finds, they take on a whole image library and then they find where those images have been used in different um, places on the internet. And we can then seek license fees for our photographers mm -hmm. for those unauthorized usages. Mm -hmm. um, so I guess there's kind of AI in that. and. <clears throat> Yeah, I guess I was thinking more from the creator point of view, but you're absolutely right. There's definitely ways, and particularly as the archive grows and grows, we're going to need to have more sophisticated search functionality. So. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, just quickly, you're predominantly, exclusively UK-based. I mean, you're opening in New York, very exciting, but your current you know, artists, photographers, they're all UK-based. UK, uh, on the repping side... UK and we have one photographer in Spain and one in France, okay. one in Mallorca, one in Paris. But uh, that's worldwide representation. Worldwide representation. Okay. Yeah. yeah cool. Um, and New York's exciting. When's when's that happening? So that is end of this year or beginning of next year. Um, we're just getting everything set up over there and getting visas sorted. Um, but are you going? Yeah, I'm going to go out for a bit. I just need to work out how long for um but yeah ideally i want to be out there for about six months to get it all kind of up and running and then in that process and take someone on there um happy to share some experience of us setting up over there that'd be great another conversation definitely no that'd be really good <laughs> yeah it's a very different world yeah i mean i think you'll know already but yeah yeah anyway. totally um awesome oscar i wanted to sort of shift gears a little bit and we touched briefly on you know, your formative years at school, spending a bit too much time in the darkroom. Um, but we'd love to go back even further in terms of you know, younger Oscar, siblings, you know, your upbringing in terms of uh, you know, A, a creative, uh, I guess, sort of uh, permission or, or opportunities, but also sort of where that sort of entrepreneurial spirit might have come from, whether that's from your, your folks, from a, I don't know, from a, a mentor or, um, anyway, yeah, we'd just love to hear a little bit more around that. Um, so yeah, I think 
one of the most formative things is my mum has an incredible work ethic. She she was always the the breadwinner in my family. She worked incredibly hard um, as a producer, and she I think film TV uh, TV commercials, um, and she really kind of I think without forcing it on us gave us a very good example I'd say us I've got two brothers gave us and, and they both run run their own businesses and I think we've kind of all taken that from on one part having that example but on the other part my, my dad was was the opposite and never he was a more of a stay-at-home dad um, and I think I think I always wanted to um, I didn't really want to turn into a stay-at-home dad let's put it that way and I, I, I do, do you know what I, to be honest, when it comes to the younger, the younger years, it's hard to know what formed it. I think we also, you know, I can't deny I was brought up with a lot of kind of privilege around me and, and was given a lot of privilege in terms of education and a start in life and, you know, that, um, which, which I'm very grateful for. But at the same time, we never, as a family, never had that much money, but were surrounded by people by proxy of the schools we went to who did. And I think that gave me a kind of, um, your kind of exposure to something that I thought, okay, if I'm gonna get anywhere near that or have the things that I wanna have or live the life I wanna have, um, then I'm probably gonna need to do it for myself. And so I think that drove me. And I think also not really enjoying school was, I mean, I enjoyed school. I probably enjoyed it too much, but I didn't really enjoy the educational side of it. And so I think until I came out, I was a bit lost with where it was going. But I think because I never felt like I had much of a crutch because education hadn't really worked out that well for me, um, I think that kind of made me feel like I needed to really up my game outside of school and find something that kind of drove me. Um, and my older brother, he, he, he set up a business a long time before me and he was a very big influence in me and always kind of encouraged that side. Um, and, and I think I always kind of naturally looked up to, up to him as an older brother. And once he did it, I was like, oh, okay, that's... It's Blaze. Blaze, yeah. 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 Um, who does boiler room and yeah he he I think there was a real moment that I had um when I came when I finished up at Hong Kong I mentioned before that kind of moment of wanting to leave and not knowing what I wanted to do and I was a bit lost to be honest I really didn't know where life was going to take me I'd had this kind of you know stable job albeit not something that I was super inspired by but took a lot out of um, and was coming back to London without much of a plan. And anyway, Blaze kind of took me under his wing. I went and lived with him, and he was just like, "You're, you know, you're wasted. You're wasted not, not doing your own thing." And kind of gave me that sense of encouragement and uh, belief that I could do it myself. So I think that was a big. He was a big example for me. My mum was a big example for me. Um, and I think just that kind of upbringing of seeing, seeing kind of privilege around you, but it's not that I didn't have it, but it, you know, in comparison, we, we were not, 
you know, not super well off. Yeah. Um, I identify with that. And younger brother? Younger brother, he, uh, yeah, so he started um, this amazing uh, uh, deli kind of, uh, he's opened the first three of a sort of chain of delis that he's um, started, which are taking over old kind of kiosks in tube stations and creating mini convenience stores that sell really delicious like oven meals and bits and bobs for people who are on their way to and from work who don't want to go into a supermarket. It's called Poppin. Nice. Where, yeah. where are they? Uh, there's one in Pimlico, one in West Kensington and one in Fulham. Okay, nice. Very entrepreneurial family. Any sibling rivalry there at Christmas? Um, <laughs> do you know what? Honestly, we fought so much when we were younger, like awfully. Three boys. Uh, yeah, we were constantly at each other's throats. And I feel like, and now we're so close. And I kind of feel like we got all of our arguing uh, out the way very young. And I don't, I don't feel a sense of rivalry with them at all, actually. I think we've always really kind of, supported each other on this side and I think because we don't have anyone any kind of parent figure who's you know with kind of succession high expectation kind of vibes it's like it's no Logan your mum's not a Logan then no exactly yeah <laughs> none of that that we don't really feel the, the the need to impress anyone other than each other a little bit but not in a competitive way yeah no I love that um and from that family, it's great to have that context because, yeah, I mean, we've done a bunch of these different interviews and there's always, not always, mostly, like a, a figure, right? Or a, a, um, a role, there was a role model to aspire to or to permit or to enable or to nurture. And, um, yeah, really interesting to hear that your mum was that. Um, was that role is, is she still producing is she still working no no she 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 got out of it a long time ago i mean it's such a it's full on right such a tough job yeah um but yeah no she doesn't she still works though she she does she does indian face massages and uh and has this kind of gut health um thing called gut sense that she runs which is really amazing um uh she's obsessed with the microbiome and gut She'll never stop. She's always got something going on. Yeah, there we go. There's the energy, source of energy. Um, just coming back to sort of future plans then, where, uh, yeah, other than New York or, you know, balancing your licensing business, yeah, is, is there an end goal? Is there, a, is there a, a target? Is there a destination you'd love to see Kinsing in the next, I don't know, three to five years? I... Weirdly, I don't think there is anymore. Like, I feel like my my big goal was to create something that was sustainable and that I could potentially, you know, grow into something bigger. And I feel like I reached that a few years ago. And at that point, I kind of said to myself, I want to put as much as I can into this and grow it as you know, as much as I possibly can and for as long as it still makes me happy. Mm -hmm. um, but I think I had this moment where, you know, the business has been going for six years. It took about four years to get to a point of being certain that, you know, because at the earlier stages, there's so much kind of instability and 
moments where you're not sure it's growing quick enough, you get impatient, all of those things. And I finally reached this point of knowing that it was set and we kind of laid really solid foundations and it was then a case of how big can grow. And I didn't feel that, I don't know, it kind of made me, I didn't feel like as much of a moment as I thought it would. And it just made me think actually it's better not to, not to set these kind of goals so much and just keep working really hard and as I say for as long as I'm enjoying it which I definitely am now I'm just going to keep doing what I'm doing um so I guess you know I would at some point like to not be working as hard (laughs) um and like have a family and all that kind of stuff so you know I can't keep it up as it is but for now very happy yeah well, congrats, Oscar. It's great to see, certainly from, you know, your time here with us in the studio, just to see how the business has evolved. And, um, yeah, I wish you every success. A um, couple of final questions. What's the best way of someone contacting you? Um, it's probably on email, okay. com. Great. Any future budding photographers out there? Yeah. Um, and is there anybody you would like to hear on the show someone who inspired you've read you've watched blaze that's a good shout <laughs> yeah we can or my little brother archie maybe both yeah maybe get them together yeah, that's a great idea <laughs> um yeah sure i'll be, be great to chat with blaze actually um since uh, yeah we interviewed him a while ago in the journal um yeah, maybe it's time for a little revisit. Yeah. I mean, they would be the first two people that would come to my mind, but, um, and I think would be would be good ones. Yeah. No, it'd be great to get the update on the Boiler Room story as well. Amazing. Thanks so much, Oscar. Um, Thank you. Yeah. And we wish you success. Thanks a lot. Cheers. <laughs>